Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of the Effie Awards podcast. This is where we talk about the best of worst of legal ethics violations of the last week. And sadly, uh, it was a good week. Well, good week for me and you, not so good for the lawyers and judges involved, but we'll get to that. And let's get to it right now. Our first nominee is in the category of the Archie Bunker Award. If you remember, we give the Archie Bunker Award to lawyers who have exhibited the most bunkeresque activity during the year, or in this case, the most racist, sexist, homophobic bunker. We have our nominee here, the movie Knife Plus Heart. We don't have a clip from that movie because it's a French film, and that would make no sense because I don't speak French and only seven of you speak English. So that's not going to work. Let's just get right into the story. And it involves a Colorado judge who metaphorically stabbed a court staff person through the heart by repeatedly using the N-word during a car ride from a work-related event. The judge wants to know why she, as a white woman, can't say the N-word. And if she can use the soft A ending versus the ER, if that would make it better. And the black staff person says every time she's asking it and she says it, he he feels a stab through the heart. And by the way, when I say she says it, it says here in the transcript, she said the full N-word a number of times. Now, I don't even know what the full N-word is versus half or three quarters partial N-word. I don't know if you throw the ER in, if that's full. Maybe you put a little stank on it, right? And really get a growl in. If that, I don't know what full is. I do know this. No, you don't get to say the N-word. White people, I love you. All right? I get it. I know you want to have everything. In America, everything is for you. But this is not for you. Here's the good news. It's not for me either. I never get to say the N-word, at least not as much as I'd like to. I grew up black. I kind of like the N-word. Can't say it. My wife and I were talking in our bedroom a couple of weeks ago. In our bedroom, we often say things that we wouldn't say elsewhere. Uh, If it's a good night, we might use some profanity. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about. And yet, we were talking about a story involving the N-word in which the both of us, being black, in our bedroom said inward. We didn't say the actual word ourselves. You only get to say the word yourself if you're black and a multi-platinum rapper. I am only one of those two things. You're likely none of those things. You just don't get to say it. I don't know what to tell you. Also, if you have unpopular opinions, opinions that would be unpopular, say with African-American people, you might not want to say them to your African-American co-workers. And this judge could not keep her political views out of the courtroom. So while in the courtroom, in between matters, if there's conversation going on, she just can't help but to say things like, you guys are watching the Super Bowl. I'm not watching the Super Bowl this weekend because Colin Kaepernick has disrespected the troops. And I stand with the troops. Or another instance, she asked one of her clerks, explain Black Lives Matter. And he tried to explain it. And she said, ah, all lives matter. It's not necessarily that she's wrong, she is, but you're allowed to be wrong. You just probably are not allowed to be wrong in your robe while other people have to listen to you be wrong. If you want to do that on Facebook, I'm encouraging you not to do it there either, all right? But certainly not in this context. Now, in addition to using the N-word, having some interesting uh, political beliefs, 
She also didn't seem to be a big fan of other women either. And at one point, she goes to a meeting with another woman judge in the courthouse, comes back, and someone says, hey, how'd the meeting go? And she referred to her female colleague as an effing B-word. Uh, she used the words themselves, uh, the full words. That said, I think she might have gotten away with it, if not for those pesky kids, or more importantly, not for her being a pesky pain in the you-know-what. She, her employees would naturally be reticent to tell on their boss, to bother their boss, to get on their boss's bad side. But I think she spent so much time getting on their bad sides, at some point they didn't care. And so eventually they make these complaints to the Judicial Commission. And I think it's because her clerks and staff had just had enough. In addition to spouting out her political beliefs, she also had clerks do research for her on her personal legal issues. She had them edit and send her personal correspondence. She had a medical episode at the courthouse, and they bring in and want to call in an ambulance to take her to the hospital. She says, no, no, I have my clerk take me to the hospital. And then makes the court clerk stay overnight with her in the hospital. Just a little personal teddy bear, you know, a comfort a security blanket. Your clerk's not going to be security blankets. I suspect that at some point, one of her clerks says, you know what? <laughs> F this job. Right? I, I'm just going to tell what I know, but the chips fall where they may, but I'm not working for her anymore. And the good news is that person doesn't have to work for her anymore. Nobody does because she had to step down and resign as a district court judge. The bar has publicly censured her all because she couldn't keep her mouth shut and more importantly, was annoying as hell. Can't be annoying and opinionated. Those two don't go together. But Sean, don't you see? This is cancel culture run amok. No, this is actually consequence culture doing what it always does. And it's interesting how sometimes we think that we should be exempt from this. Now, we understand that none of us could go to our boss and say, boss, I hate you. I hate your mama, your spouse, your ethnic group. Hate them, hate them, hate them. That's obvious. I'm not sure why we think that it would work any better if we're the boss and we do the same thing with our subordinate employees. It's just not going to work very well, particularly if you're a judge. One of the things about a judge is it's kind of important that we at least think, have the delusion that you're impartial, that we might, you might actually hear the case and decide it on the merit. That is not always the case, but certainly you can't be out front and loud and proud about it. You need to keep your prejudices on a DL, on a down low. Our next nominee here is in the category of least competent in a legal setting. And the nominee here is the movie Dazed and Confused. This is the movie in which Matthew McConaughey had his breakout role. What has happened? Long time, no see. <laughs> yes, sir. What have you been up to? Same old shit, man. Yeah? Working for the city. Working man, huh? Been thinking about getting back in school, though, man. Back in JC or something like that? Yeah, man. I mean, that's where all the girls are, right? <laughs> but on the other hand, man, I just as soon keep working, keep a little change in my pocket. Yeah? Wait. Rather than spend my time listening to some dipshit who doesn't know what the hell he's talking about anyway. Well, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> so you're a freshman, right? Yeah. Well, so tell me, man, how's this year's crop of freshman chicks looking? <laughs> Would you gonna end up in jail sometime, though? I know that. 
No, man. Yeah. No, man, I'll tell you. Yeah. That's what I love about these high school girls, man. I get older, they stay the same age. Yes, they do. I have no idea how that portrayal of a creepy guy trying to date high school girls somehow launched him into superstardom. Don't even understand it. I don't understand a lot. I also don't understand this Ohio lawyer. He's been appointed by the court for a criminal appeal. He files an appellate brief that, in a word, sucked. And I'm only exaggerating like 1%. Here is what the court said, that he stated uh, citations and abbreviations that made no sense, and that the brief was, I quote, 52 pages of the most difficult reading I've ever probably done in 12 years. If you're hurting the judge's brain, it's going to be a problem. The judge kind of needs that brain to rule for you, at least to strike the gavel. So the appellate court comes back and says, look, can you please file a new reply brief. Please help us out here so we have some clues to what you're trying to argue, why this person deserves an appeal. And so the lawyer, and by the way, I got it wrong before, the lawyer's actually a woman, doesn't really matter, both genders will make this mistake equally, actually men probably a little more. But anyway, she somehow fails to submit the brief by the deadline. And the Court of Appeal steps in, sua sponte. Now, let me explain to you what sua sponte means. It's not a cheaper version of Asti Spumante. It means of one's own accord, voluntarily. And the court sua sponte removes her as counsel. Now understand that that's not usually how this works at all. Normally judges don't yank lawyers out of the game, so to speak. Normally that's done by the coach, the client. They decide what lawyer should represent them. For the judges to do this sua sponte would be like an NBA referee going and pulling LeBron James out of the game and saying, hey, Bron, I know the Space Jam movie is all that, but uh, you suck today. You need to go get a shower early. Come on back tomorrow. All right, I know you'll be good tomorrow, but uh, you suck today. Go get out of here. That's not how that normally works, but it's how it worked here. Why? Well, because the court even noted that the <laughs> brief was inadequate, incoherent, unintelligible. And she seemed to be totally unprepared for everything. When she missed that final deadline, they said, hey, we're, we're done with you. Not only do they get a new lawyer, but they also refer her to the bar. And when asked to explain herself, she says, well, what had happened was, see, basically it was like this. <laughs> she says that she inadvertently filed a draft of her brief the first time. What happens is she, that she failed to save the final version because apparently she's never heard of autosave. Her computer doesn't save unless you actually tell it to. And by the way, not just that, but she, she will just close files. Even though it says, hey, this isn't saved, I don't have time for all that. Obviously, she didn't have time to proofread it afterwards because had she done so before filing, she would have noticed some things. Uh, she also testified that she had intended to meet the deadline for the reply beef, brief, but her USB flash drive broke off. I don't even know how you do that with a USB flash drive. I do know that the Ohio uh, Supreme Court said, uh, no, nah, girlfriend. Uh, for one, technical glitches don't explain unrecognizable citations and abbreviations. No one's writing a reply brief in textees. Letter U for you and t the number two for two, WTF. Even in rough draft form, you're not gonna go text on it. 
Uh, secondly, a part of competence, which is required under the very first rule of the canon, Rule 1.1, a lawyer should provide competent representation. And part of competence is being able to use a word processor. See, we are long past the days of submitting a reply brief in parchment and quill ink. So if you can't do that, uh, you're not competent. And we're not really sure we believe your technical glitch explanation anyway. And that seems pretty clear by the fact that she got a six-month suspension. And they said, before you come back in here six months later, make sure you take six hours of a continuing legal education course in criminal appellate law practice. Before you take any more criminal appeals, at least from the court, you need to get your stuff together, girl. They didn't ask her, however, to take a course on, say, Word for Dummies. They assume that once she learns how to actually practice law, all those technical glitches and flash drives breaking off will somehow fix themselves. Sadly, I don't think this is going to be the answer to really fix her. Continuing legal education, or CLE, is a misnomer. The truth of the matter is it should be called CLA, Continuing Legal Attendance. The requirement to pass any CLE course is to be alive at the end of it. I know this because I've done over 2,000 of them, and I have a very high pass rate. It's pretty much as high as, I don't know, Duke, right, basketball team pass rate. It's unbelievably high, right? And part of that is because you don't have a test at the end. You don't get graded. The requirement is for you to just attend, to be alive at the end. I find it hard to believe, but I have a very high pass rate. I never lose any students. They all graduate unless I do the seminar in Florida or Arizona. I might lose 30% of those attendees, but that's not my fault, all right? They die from natural causes, all right? I can't help that. The average age here is technically deceased, all right? We're going to lose some people. But everywhere else where people are, tend to be alive at the beginning, they tend to be alive at the end. CLE isn't the answer here because it doesn't require that you actually learn anything. And so this lawyer all this time hasn't learned, I don't know, how to write legibly and intelligently. I imagine six more hours isn't going to help. Um, she's got a couple more ethies in her future. We'll let you know when they come up again. Our next nominee here is in the category of Miss or Mr. Uncongeniality. And we haven't had one of these in a few weeks. I've kind of missed a category. This is a lawyers who act a fool up in here. Particularly in an adversarial situation, they'll lose it with opposing counsel or opposing party, maybe even the judge. And the nominee in this category is a movie called Shoot 'em Up. Ah. Ah. Bravo, Mr. Hero, bravo. Why are you trying to kill this woman? <laughs> Something funny. Oh, I was just remembering a limerick. There once was a woman who was quite begat. She had three babies named Nat, Pat, and Tat. She said it was fun in the breeding, but found it was hell in the feeding when she saw there was no tit for tat. Uh, you have caused me no end of trouble, but now I shall return the favor. Tit for tat, right? Ah, see, that's the latest thing. The gun will only fire when it recognizes the thumbprint of the owner. That makes firearms safer, and it cuts down on crime, too. Now, you'll see in a minute why this title selection is so perfect for this nominee. Here we have an Oregon lawyer who gets three profanity-laden voicemails from co-counsel in a previous case. 
They'd worked together. Co-counsel is furious at the work the lawyer had done. And co-counsel leaves a voicemail, three of them, basically saying, you suck, your mama sucks, your grandmama farts in church. I'm paraphrasing. But he's not happy. The lawyer fires off an email in response, belittling the message. And he attaches, this is cute, a picture of a cat playing a violin. Right? No big deal. Co-counsel then replies about a half hour later and says, well, you fi you'll find it a big deal when you have to explain this to the state bars in Oregon and Washington. Now, the lawyer at this point replies, whatevs, right? And says, look, I'll be waiting and I'm tougher than you and both the state bars. Now, I don't know what tough has to do with it. This isn't going to be a lumberjack competition. All right. Although in the Pacific Northwest, who knows? All right. But I don't think so. It's not going to be a beer drinking competition. I'm not sure why he thought tough was an issue. But co-counsel here isn't going to be out macho And so he replies, well, you know where I am, tough guy. And the lawyer says, look, if the traffic wasn't such blank expletive, uh, I'd be there today. Well, apparently at some point the traffic broke. And so this lawyer shows up to co-counsel's law office. Now, he doesn't go in. He just sits in his car, parked by the side of the road, and fires six rounds from a pistol at and into the building where co-counsel's offices are located. Three of the shots hit the brick siding. One hit a metal exterior door, but two went through the office window and pat one passed just six inches over the office manager's head and hit a computer. The lawyer then drives off. Needless to say, the police can put one and one together here, right? You just had a big fight with somebody, next thing you know, the office is all shot up. And they come and arrest the lawyer, find his gun, the evidence, etc. So many lessons to be learned here. Uh, for co-counsel, uh, be careful who you challenge to be a tough guy. If that other person happens to be like this lawyer, an Iraq veteran suffering from PTSD, and one who's been drinking heavily since the death of his father, uh, you might want to back down. Either that, or you might want to do your drive-by first, just so you know, make sure you get your licks in. More importantly, uh, if you're the lawyer here, and you're any lawyer, as a matter of fact, if you're any person, uh, don't get so pissed that you decide to shoot him up. Uh, for one, uh, that's a crime. And not like jaywalking or wearing white after Labor Day. Uh, shooting up a building is a serious. It's like, say, uh, leaving a toilet seat up when you're married. All right, it's going, it's going to be bad. Uh, you can actually, for shooting up the building or leaving up the toilet seat, uh, go to prison. And by the way, I didn't say jail. I said prison, and that's exactly where this lawyer went. Prison got sentenced to 18 months, where I suspect he met some people who might have been a shade tougher than he was. When the lawyer's released. The bar says, oh, no, 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 we're not done with you, tough guy. Get on up in here. They have a hearing, et cetera, and the disciplinary board says, you know what? We suspect we want to give this guy a three-year suspension. Maybe he'll learn his lesson. And interestingly enough, the bar counsel says, no, three years? He shot up a building. All right, almost hit the office manager. We want him disbarred. And so they take appeal, this ruling of the disciplinary board, to the Supreme Court. I said, no, no, you need to get rid of this guy. He's bad news. And the court amazingly decided to split the baby almost exactly down the middle. They refused to disbar the lawyer. 
So what he did was bad, but we don't think it's, you can come back from shooting up a building. But we are gonna increase his, his suspension from three years to five. And five is the absolute maximum we can do without disbarring you. So this is the worst you could happen except for disbarment. And the lesson to be learned here, another lesson is to own up to your own nonsense. And here's what I mean by this. The initial recommendations for three years and the lawyer would have gotten that, maybe even less. But, and I quote, we are concerned, however, that even at this point, respondent fails to fully appreciate the enormity of his misconduct. Because a lawyer says, hey, I should only get a year. I don't know if you notice this, but nobody got hurt. In fact, as I told the police, it was an accident. I just happened to be, you know, twirling my gun on my finger like a gunslinger, and it just happened to go off six times. And, you know, one of them hit the building. I wasn't even trying to. I, if I wanted to kill everybody, they'd all be dead. I'm tough. But I didn't want to. It's just an accident. And here's the problem with that, is that the purpose of a suspension is not just to punish you, but to give you a timeout give you some time to get your stuff together to get you to realize you shouldn't be running around shooting up the building even if you mostly miss and in this case the lawyer's in denial and so you're not getting any better you you still think you you know you were right here i also think on a personal matter that you should get double the punishment if you miss the entire building if you shoot that poorly you have no business holding a gun even a super soaker all right, you, that should be prohibited for you as well, right? Learn to shoot somebody, you can come back here. But you run around here, that's dangerous, all right? You're a danger to everybody, you can't hit the building. My innovative sentencing aside, the real issue and the important thing to remember is that you have to show some contrition. And this is a challenge oftentimes lawyers have is that they don't think they've done anything wrong in the first place. And it's always going to lead to more time. People can't trust that you're going to get better if you don't think you did anything wrong in the first place. You gotta bite the bullet, so to speak. Let your pride and ego out of the window. Say you're sorry, you're wrong, and you're gonna do better. And then, don't shoot the building. And our final category this week is another perennial favorite, worst love scene. And the nominee is the 1984 romantic comedy, Unfaithfully Yours, starring none other than, of course, Dudley Moore. Hey, you know what's going on, don't you? What do you think? What I owe you an explanation. Oh, is that all you owe me? An explanation? Well, you are no stranger to marry women before you and Danielle are together. Don't yeah, but I won't marry to friends. I know. Do extenuating circumstances. The, the, the only thing extenuating is your pecker, which arises automatically in the presence of the nearest female flesh. I don't blame you for being upset. Oh, anymore. thank you. I, thank oh, you. I'm, I'm glad you're so understanding. I didn't start it. Are you trying to tell me she started it? It's important who started oh, it. This happened. Excuse me. Oh, just I'm not apologizing I... for it. No, but I you apologizing. I was apologizing for using your apartment. Oh, let me get this straight. You're not apologizing for the affair. Just for using a Come on. apartment. Keep your voice down. Okay, oh, what, what sorry, yeah, you want to ever come to the hotel? In the yeah, well, I can. Great. Anyway. End up in the Enquirer. Yeah, right? anyway. Great. Right. you. Calm down. Holly, right. what are you... What the, this is nothing serious. Nothing serious? No, come on. I'm going to see her a few more times and that'll be it. Pick your hands hey. off. <laughs> Jesus. And then me would have been somebody else. <laughs> also, if anyone can send me a message and explain to me how Dudley Moore was a sex symbol in the 80s, I'd, I'd appreciate it. 
Well, had we not invented height back then? In any event, uh, this is a case involving a Wisconsin lawyer who couldn't stay faithful to his wife. In truth, I'm not sure he was really trying that hard because he seemed to be always on the prowl. For instance, he meets one woman in a Walmart checkout line. I don't know about you, but that's where I would go first. I need to find me a nice woman. And that's where he goes and he meets her in the line. He gives her his business card and says, hey, call me if you need anything. A few months later, uh, she does call. And she says, you know, I need something, uh, $40. And he says, hey, come to the office late tonight and um, I'll give you the money. And sure enough, he gives her the money. And just by a sheer coincidence, uh, she gives him a little something, something in return. All right. I'm trying to be delicate about this. And this happens at least one other time. Now, the lawyer also has other women in his stable, so to speak. And one of them is a criminal defendant, woman who's constantly in trouble with the law. And he represents her on what could be considered a quid pro no basis. I mean by that is that he keeps her out of jail. And then in return, uh, she gives him a release of sorts. I hope I'm being delicate about this. In any event, this arrangement becomes problematic because she's always getting arrested. And one time she gets arrested and sure enough, she has his personal checkbook in her possession. And the DA is a little confused about this. Why does your client have your checkbook? And says, I think there may be something going on here. And the DA begins to investigate the lawyer. And sure enough, they arrest him and bring him in on prostitution charges. Now, this is kind of tricky because this isn't uh, on the corner or Craigslist personal ads type of prostitution going on. This is more like a sugar daddy situation, right? Money and sex are definitely being exchanged, but not in a strictly here's your money, here's your sex, but more in the guise of two friends helping one another out. Right? I'll do this favor for you. You do that favor for me. And in truth, if everyone who has ever paid a friend's light bill or phone bill and received a special thank you in return was tried and jailed for prostitution, uh, there'd be no one left outside the jail. Right? This is the kind of thing that happens. And as a result, the lawyer is able to get the DA to drop the prostitution charges. He's never going to be able to prove that. But instead, he settles and pleads to two counts of attempted adultery. I'm not sure how this is just an attempt. Seems like he actually completed that pass, but I don't know. But anyway, they get him with two counts of attempted adultery and believe it or not, adultery is a crime in Wisconsin. Now it's very rarely enforced, obviously, because people are free in Wisconsin, but it's probably left on the books just for this situation. You don't have all the goods on the defendant, but you want to get him with something. And in this case, it's enough to get the lawyer 25 days in jail. And of course, the bar isn't finished with him when he gets out. They say, hey, you committed a criminal act, which is a clear violation of Rule 8.4b. Now, in response, the lawyer says, well, yeah, but by its very language, the rule doesn't apply to all crimes. It only applies to those crimes that reflect adversely on the lawyer's fitness to practice law. And adultery is not such a crime. And the reason he thinks that and can say that with a straight face is because it's actually in the commentary to the ABA model rule. The ABA model rule says adultery is a purely private matter and does not have any relation, listen to this, to a lawyer's honesty, trustworthiness, or fitness in other respects. Now stop laughing. Absolutely, it doesn't have any correlation to honesty or trustworthiness. Now, now your spouse would definitely disagree, right? 
And basically, for years, lawyers have had, in writing, in our code of ethics, a Las Vegas clause. What happens in the model code stays in the model code, right? Uh, the good news is we don't really mean it. And we've had this happen in a few cases now, and this is one of them, where Bar Association will say, okay, well, yeah, you do have an adultery exemption unless you use your legal skills or law office to do your dirt. In that case, you've tainted your law practice with it, and therefore it does reflect adversely on your fitness as a lawyer. So in other words, go to Vegas to do your prostitution. But if you do it in your office or use legal work as payment, we're going to get you. And that's what happened here. In fact, the Wisconsin Supreme Court rejected the referee's initial uh, suggestion for a three-month suspension and bumped it up to two years. Ouch. And I have to confess, I was a little surprised when I read this myself. One of the reasons is because in my travels as a legal humorist, I've come across quite a few state Supreme Court judges giving speeches after parties for drinks and cocktails, golf outings. I've spent quite a few time with state Supreme Court judges, and I don't know how to say this, but I wouldn't put uh, being a sugar daddy or mama past many of them. I apologize, but they're human beings. And so why did they bring the hammer down so hard here on Loverboy? And I think it has much to do with the fact that this lawyer acted a fool up in a disciplinary process. Or in the words of the court, let me put it more eloquently, throughout this case, attorney has proven to be a difficult litigant, prone to abstinent conduct and obfuscation. Such litigation practices come at a cost. Attorney will pay it in full. So, for you attempted adulterers out there, uh, you can breathe a little easier while at least until your spouse catches you, and they will. But my guess is that this lawyer paid as much right, for his in-court antics than he did for his off-hours hanky-panky. And speaking of off-hours, it's time for us to end our time together today. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. And finally, if you're a lawyer and you need your CLE, don't hesitate to get it from Mesa CLE. This is your comedic legal education, but it still counts as CLE. Mesa, M-E-S-A, CLE.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the podcast, please feel free to go to Patreon.com. Either look us up at Mesa CLE or at the Ethi Awards. And we thank you so much. See you next time.